Good morning, saints of our Lord, and welcome to Thy Strong Word. I'm your host, Brady Finneran, pastor of Messiah Lutheran Church in Sartell, Minnesota. Thank you for tuning us in this morning on Worldwide KFUO, Christ for you anytime, anywhere. Today is Monday, December the 20th, and oh man, we are getting close to Christmas. A blessed Advent to all of you as the light continues to grow in the Advent wreath. We anticipate the coming of our Lord Jesus and the Word made flesh. And today we study the inspired and true Word of God and we see Christ who has called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. The light shines on us from the Sermon on the Mount as we continue with Matthew chapter 5. Jesus just leveled the playing field concerning adultery and making oaths. Now we get to the point where we ask the question, what do we do with our enemies? And there's some words here of like, whoa, how, how does that work? How am I supposed to live? What does this mean for me? But also Jesus kind of brings it together to remind us of he is merciful and therefore we should be too. How does that apply? We'll find out today. Oh, Holy Spirit, enter in to open our ears, our eyes and hearts to understand more correctly what Christ has in store for the gifts are ready, ready for you. Helping us to be strengthened by God's word this morning, we welcome Pastor Doug Minton of Our Savior Lutheran Church in Milford, Illinois. Pastor Minton, happy Advent and welcome to Thy Strong Word. Happy Advent to you, Brady. So, Pastor, uh, this is our first time together. Uh, tell us, uh, introduce yourself and your family and the work of the saints at Our Savior. Well, I am uh, Pastor at Our Savior here in Milford, which is two hours straight south of downtown Chicago. Uh, been married to my wonderful bride for almost 21 years now. Uh, two kids. One, I just got finished with his first semester in college, and a daughter who is a uh, a junior in high school. Uh, here at Our Savior, we have a few things going on. We are the home base for one of the LCC Comfort Dog Ministries, uh, so that she gets out is getting out a little bit more now that we are uh, coming out of COVID and a few places are opening back up more to her. And also uh, it's great to have this opportunity because I've been doing a Thursday morning matin service for a couple of our homeschool families to give them like a chapel service for like they would be at a Lutheran uh, day school. And we've been going through the Sermon on the Mount. So oh. it's been a great time and, I'm sure the previous guests have gotten to be some of the notes that I've gotten through in those times as well. Mm -hmm. uh, also, I am the host of the Wrestling with Theology podcast. Uh, so I put out a Bible study on the Psalms. I'm doing a run through of the Lutheran Confessions right now in the middle of the Apology. And then I also, with the wrestling side, I'm grew up around Memphis, so I'm old school wrestling fan. And so I have a fancy wrestling league also run on the podcast as well. Oh, that's wonderful. Perfect. That is wonderful. You, you get the serious side and then you get some of the fun to break it up a little bit. <laughs> well, it, well that now I'm going to have to check this out more. Um, since there is like real wrestling going on in the midst of it, not only theologically, but in the quote real world, if I can say it that way. Um, right. And it, it, what a blessing to hear of, of your connection with the Lutheran Church Charities Comfort Dogs. Can you expand on that a little bit? What what are Comfort Dogs? Uh, I'm assuming it's through, it's through Lutheran Church Charities? Yes, it's okay. through Lutheran Church Charities. Okay. And they are dogs that are specially trained 
to go into nursing homes, hospitals. Uh, ours was actually at the uh, Mandalay Bay shooting, uh, the aftermath there, just simply to give people the chance to begin the grieving process and trying to process whatever's gone on in grief situations, but also just to be there as a companion for a little bit for especially the those in the hospital or in the nursing home, just to give a little dose of comfort in the midst of their day, uh, whatever that entails, where they need comfort. My daughter, and I mentioned this in the program numerous times, my daughter goes to high school at St. Paul Lutheran High School in Concordia, Missouri. And one of their great joys, probably more for me than for her, is that St. Paul, Paul's Lutheran Church in town has a comfort dog. So I remember when we dropped her off, and maybe you can relate with this as you sent your son to college, is uh, drop her off. The first thing I went to um, was a comfort dog who happened to be standing outside a church when uh, when we left. So, so I appreciate those comfort dogs and how they not only go to those traumatic situations, but they deal with grieving parents as well. So thanks be to God for that. So pastor, as we look at our text today, um, Matthew chapter five is, there's a lot here, but uh, can you begin our time by asking the Lord's blessings um, in prayer? Absolutely, let us pray. Lord Jesus Christ, you call us, especially in this time as we prepare for the celebration of your birth to love our neighbors. And that's exactly what you started to show us on that first Christmas was your love for your neighbors, being all of us who are filled with sin. But we thank and praise you for your gift of grace and mercy and forgiveness that you give to each of us through our baptisms and through all the many ways that you give through your church. We ask you as we come together around your word today that we see what great role model we have in you for loving our enemies, that we may also do the same. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Reminder to our listeners, if you have any questions concerning the Sermon on the Mount, we are towards the end of chapter, we are at the end of chapter five. We still have to go through chapter seven. So send us an email with any questions you have, kfuo at kfuo.org, kfuo at kfuo.org. Pastor, as we are right in the middle, really, of Sermon on the Mount, how do you want to start us off today as we continue to look at this wonderful sermon by our Lord? Well, in this section here, we've gotten through the fifth, sixth, and eighth artists or commandments mm. uh, in the previous verses, and now we get to some of the other laws that everybody loves to point out from the Old Testament. And we think, okay, this could be very extreme, but then Jesus turns around as he does with everything else in the Sermon on the Mount to quell those extremist thoughts to help you to realize exactly what it means and what it means for you know us with him, but also us with each other. As I said in the prayer, it you know he came down to show his love for us who were who are by nature his enemy and who want nothing to do with them. So what greater thing there is is to take some of the things that seem most natural to us like an eye for an eye, tooth for tooth. And so exactly what that was intended to mean in God's plan of salvation. 
And I'll mention this now because you really, you really, you really uh, set it up for us. Is one time, one time I heard a former Muslim speak, and he's now a Missouri Synod pastor, Pastor Hisham Shahab. And he spoke about one of the first things that really hurt his interest was reading these verses here today was, you know, what he grew up knowing is hate your enemy, love your neighbor, hate your enemy. And he said here, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. And he just couldn't believe that someone would have that ideology. It made no sense. So that really perked his interest to think about, wait, this is, this is different. And like you, like you said, this, there's a, there's a, a quelling of any extremes, but it puts us all in context in a beautiful way because we know that, um, that this is the way of the Lord, not our way. Because if it was our way, we would just stick with the, you know, hate your enemies and go from there. But Jesus shows us a different way, obviously, as our example that you said so well and, you're, and you prayed for it today as well. So anything else you want to highlight that, uh, as, we, as we look at these verses? Well, you're pointing out, that's the beauty of Christianity is for people who are just coming to it or even the people who've grown up in it, looking at some of these verses, Jesus is talking the exact opposite of the way we want to think. And so that, that is the beauty of Christianity over against any other religion in the world, is that everything else just seems natural and logical. Christianity a lot of times is like, wait, what? Love my enemy. Pray for those who persecute me. Turn the other cheek. And all these things going on in our verses today that's like seem absolutely nonsensical to us. And Jesus says, this is the way of, of my life. This is the way that I expect you to live. And we sometimes just sit dumbfounded because it just can't wrap our heads around it. And I, and part of this too, and this is for you, our listeners, is you read this, I know for me personally, and I'd love to hear your thoughts too, Pastor Minton, is I read these and go, well, I don't, I don't really like this. Um, what he's saying in my heart, one, because it's hard to fathom, but two, I'm not very good at it. Like to, to think about, you know, um, turning the other cheek and to love my enemies. I think, you know, there, there's a reality that there's times I don't even want to love people who aren't my enemies. And so how would I love my enemies on top of what he's asking me to do? So I think there's that reality that this, this is a struggle for all of us as we hear these words. Any thoughts? This is definitely a struggle because we can't fathom the idea of, okay, you know, somebody slapped me on one cheek. I have turned them the other, let, let them slap me there too. And then, of course, the next question is, well, what do I do after that? Because I'm out of cheeks now. Uh, but <laughs> then it's, you know, all the other things that of really showing the love of God through doing more than what's expected. And we do have a hard time with that because we want to just get by with the bare minimum. What What is it exactly that we have to do to get this done? That, that's our natural setting. And so that's what we're going to wrestle with quite a bit here. Um, and I, I don't know how this is going to work, Pastor. Maybe as we wrestle with this, you'll have to put in some of your normal wrestling talk um, that you have on your, on your podcast. I'm not sure how this will work. I'm excited if we can figure it out or if you can figure it out. Cause I don't know anything about wrestling, but 
Um, anyways, but nonetheless, we will wrestle with the text today. So, Pastor, I think I'm ready to dig in. Are you ready? I'm ready. All right. So, a reminder to our listeners, we'll be reading from the English Standard Version of Holy Scripture. Let's open up our Bibles and get started in Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse 38. So, we begin in verse 38, and I will read through verse 42. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. If anyone would sue you and to take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who begs from you and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. So, Pastor, I want to start start with this is that reminder to our listeners that that we believe the word of God to be true. So we don't read this and say, well, you know, Jesus, he wasn't really that serious here, at least not for parts of it, or he's serious about somebody else or just for the people at that time. No, we believe this. The word is inerrant and true and um, points us to Christ and also is relevant for our lives. So just a reminder, that's how we're going to be looking at this. And as we said, wrestling with it, what does it mean as God's baptized, baptized and forgiven children? So, so Pastor, how do you want to begin as we look at what the title says, retaliation that Jesus points us to today? Well, I'd like to go back to actually the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. Yeah, okay. And Matthew is setting it up in verse 1. Jesus goes up onto the mountain and sits down, and his disciples came to him. And Everything from chapter 5, 6, and 7 is what he is teaching his disciples. And those of us who are baptized Christians who seek to be Jesus' disciples, well, this all applies to us. Everything he says, you know, that we've covered so far on Life Strong Word and we'll cover in the next couple of chapters, that all of this applies to us. There's no exceptions given unless I'm missing something in the fine print of our Bible. Mm-hmm. that every, everything is for us and for us to, as the College of the Word says, to inwardly digest or, to use my podcast terminology, to wrestle with. Because this is a great text that we do have to wrestle with in daily lives. So in verse 38, he quotes from the Bible. I mean, this is from the Old Testament. An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But then he says something different. How do we reconcile that as, as Christians to say, well, did Jesus change the word of God? Well, as with the other things that he has gone through and said, you have heard that it was said, but I say to you, he's not changing the word of God. He's helping to clarify. Because as we get into a few other things with the Sermon on the Mountain later on in the Gospel of Matthew. He talks about things that were handed down to Moses from God because of the hardness of our heart. So it is our hard hearts that are the uh, the reasoning, the exception as to why we have some of these things. But our hardened hearts take on these things and didn't want to push them to the extreme. And this quote is one of those where it's actually three times in the Torah. 
in Exodus 21, Leviticus 24, and Deuteronomy 19. And the interesting thing about this is the first time it's given in Exodus 21, it's actually in the context of when men strive together and hit a pregnant woman so that her child uh, comes out. Now that, you know, it's the first time it's involving a pregnant woman, which the other two times it's just generalized as the eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, life for life, a wound for wound, burn for burn, and so on with the full uh, text, is that in our, in what is natural to us, we want justice and you know, equality, uh, which are words that are bandied about a lot today in very different senses. But we want, if something happens to us, we want to be able to return that uh, to the person who has done that to us. And that's the way a lot of the civil law is set up, is, a, uh, is an equal uh, an equal payment for the crime committed, you know, whether that is involves jail time, that involves a monetary fine or whatever. You know, that's, this idea is that principle at the bottom of that. And it also works for the plan of salvation as well, that God is unveiling through Moses that you know, it is, you know, we can even add on here, a sin for a sin. Now, when God is speaking this through Moses, he's not going to put that on there because he's trying to teach the people of Israel and us, their spiritual descendants, to not sin and to not revolt to that. But this is essentially what he is doing in Jesus, is he is taking the sins that we have and we've done and putting them on him so that the payment is made. And so, as Paul says in Second Corinthians, you know, he who knew no sin became sin for us. You know, he who has had the wrongs done against him took them on himself to pay that penalty. Because it doesn't matter how hard we try, we're never going to be able to undo our sin. As we look at this, I really like how you talk about justice and we look at the civil realm that even at its best in the civil realm, our courts and which we pray for, which we believe God is overseen, um, that justice is never fully ever given. Because for example, if someone, let's say murdered 10 people, well, the only just thing would be is that somehow you did the same crime and brought him back to life and then did it nine more times. And so there, there, you're always, we live in this reality that justice is never fully served. We try to act like we can do it, but this is never fully served, even though we, we desire it so much. And, and this goes into thirsting for righteousness and the Beatitudes, that we just have this feeling and we know that things are just not right. And, but, but then the alternative, like you said, we want to fight, well, fight back, have justice. But Jesus' alternative is... Well, not something like you said that is really 
very practical either because I only have, you know, a certain number of cheeks. And if I turn it, I only turn it once. And then, and then what do you do? So how would you, how would you talk about that as we look at Jesus's words? Well, Jesus goes on to talk about, you know, is there is the point where, as Peter will ask him later on, how many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Jesus just says, just keep doing it. Yeah. You, know, mm. you know, if someone slaps you on the right cheek, turn them the other also. And then when he's done with that one, logically, Jesus would say, well, turn back the first one again. Uh-huh. And I guess you just do it until they're tired of slapping you or they don't, or they don't get the satisfaction out of it anymore. And we have this with the other things that he has as well with the tunic and going the one mile and begging is that our lives should be lives where we freely give. And if that means that we have to sit there and take the beating because somebody needs to work out some issues or whatnot, that might be what we need to do that day. For the tunic and the cloak, if somebody else really wants it that badly, let them have it. Now, there's, there's nothing in this world, I think of even like carjacking. I don't care how expensive your car is. It's not worth losing your life over. Hand it over. If somebody wants it that badly, they're going to make sure that you pay for it one way or another. And we have the going and doing the extra effort. And this is that idea of leading by example, but leading with love is that we are working to help the people that are there. So the one who, you know, Susan takes the tunic, let him have the cloak as well. Just, again, let him have it and be done with it. You know, the going one mile uh, versus, you know, then Jesus telling us to go two miles is to not just, again, do just the bare minimum, but help the people that need to be helped. And sometimes those who need to be helped need need help knowing they need to be helped. And this is really what Jesus is talking about, is that the help that we are to give to one another, even if it means that they are trying to do it in a way that is not God-pleasing. So as we, as we look at that, uh, uh, so I want to I want to I want to look at one more aspect of this. So verse forty, and then and then I want to talk about. Okay, all right, I hear what you're saying. How 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 are we going to do this? All right. So I want to just touch one more thing. We have about a minute and a half until our break. But verse forty, if anyone will sue you and take your tunic, then let them have your cloak as well. And I think that goes with the carjacking understanding that you said too. But that that one's kind of hard too. I mean, if I get sued, the last thing I'm thinking of, whatever you want, I'll give you, and then I'll give you maybe double more. I mean, this is, these are hard, hard words. Any thoughts on that one? Oh, they are very hard words. It's not something that I'm trying to say is easy by any stretch of the imagination. But this is 
this is the love of God. That we we have sued after God with our sins and demanding to be considered righteous in his sight. And all the other religions of the world do that. And God says, okay, you can be righteous, but here, let me show you exactly what righteousness is. And then he gives us Jesus. You know, even more than what we want, even more than what we understand in this life, is that, yeah, no, nobody who's been sued is going to say, okay, I have, I have to pay you $10,000. Well, why don't I just give you 20? Now, that's, that's kind of backwards of the way we think of it. We think of working out deals before a verdict is given, not afterwards. But this is what God does, is he does the bargaining for the for the payment after the verdict has been handed down. Well, I think uh, my first wording is, uh, Lord, have mercy as we look at this, because we're going to need some help and I want to be we're going to touch more on that on the other side of the break. We are studying Matthew chapter five with Pastor Doug Minton and we will be right back. Take a look around you. Look closely. Immigrants in the United States and their U.S. born children now number about 81 million people or 26 percent of the population. So chances are there's someone right in your community who doesn't speak English as a first language and who doesn't know Jesus. The Lutheran Heritage Foundation can help by providing you with free Lutheran books translated into over 90 languages. See their complete list of catechisms and Bible storybooks at lhfmissions.org. And welcome back. We are studying Matthew chapter 5 with Pastor Doug Minton of Our Savior Lutheran Church in Milford, Illinois. And Pastor, the, the title of this is Retaliation. And I, I can't help but think about when we will often say we have that fight or flight mentality as humanity. And Jesus is kind of uh, not saying that that's the way of the Christian um, as we see what's happening here. And he's definitely pointing us in a whole new direction, a whole new way. Now I'm kind of wondering, okay, so I have our church here at, at Messiah Lutheran Church, and we will support the local food pantries. Um, we, we try to help people as we can. But I haven't had a moment where I've had to turn the other cheek in the way that he's speaking or given away double what people are wanting or um, going the extra mile with somebody uh, to the way that, I hear Jesus speaking. So what ways can we as Christian people do exactly what Jesus is saying and keeping it within perspective? Uh, the main perspective comes back from verse 39 again. Uh, do not resist the one who is evil. And this kind of starts this whole process of the idea of retaliation is that automatically we think of you know the one who is evil as being our enemy, the one who is out to get us. But as Christians, we are called to follow after the example of Christ, who comes after those who are against him. You know, he, he does not resist the evil one. 
or the one who was evil, because if he did, there would be no Matthew. There would be no New Testament. Mm-hmm. Probably wouldn't be much of the Old Testament either, because it would just be us sitting here with no Savior. If he wanted to resist all that was evil. But what he does is he shows us the way of love. Is that we do we do what we are capable of. And if that is and sometimes that seems to be less than what we would like to do. And unfortunately we live in a world where circumstances definitely make things difficult to be able to do double. But if we have that opportunity to do it joyfully, to do it as uh, Luther says in the petition on daily bread, to receive it with thanksgiving, you know, to receive these words with thanksgiving, which is awfully hard to do <laughs> because they are such difficult words, but are really boiling down to the point of no matter what anyone does to you, do the right thing. Which is exactly what Jesus does. You know, he goes through the entire passion, the beating, the crucifixion, the mocking, the torment, because it's the right thing. Now, he doesn't call any of us to do that. But to him, this is much easier. You know, to turn the other cheek, to give more than what people are asking for. And I'm not sure about you, Brady, but for me, verse 42 is actually the hardest one. Mm-hmm. You know, giving to the one who begs from you and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. I've lived in large cities where you have the homeless or those proclaiming to be homeless, sitting there begging for for money for whatever they are needing it for. And you always question, okay, what, what is this actually going to be used for? And then the one who wants to borrow from you, Uh, all of us have that neighbor that borrows things from us all the time and we never see them back again. Do we keep letting them borrow stuff using my air quotes? We think, well, no, that's, that's ridiculous. That's foolish. And Jesus says, do not refuse it. And I just have to sit here going, I don't like this. This is not fun. But again, this is what Jesus is trying to say. That what you, what has been brought up from the earliest of days with Moses, you've misunderstood. And this is the way you need to you need to understand it. And it's very black and white. You know, this is not <laughs> he, he's speaking in language that's very direct. I mean, there's no way you can relook really at this and say, well, it's more of a it's symbolic of something else. I was thinking about this that in in chapter five, verse you know twenty nine into thirty, it it tells you okay if the right hand causes you to sin, cut it off, throw it away, for it's better to lose one of your members than your whole body to go into hell. Now we read that and go okay clearly Jesus doesn't want us 
to cut off our hands, but to show the seriousness of sin. So someone would say, okay, so that one is, is um, theoretical. That one is symbolic. So that's, that's kind of what Jesus is saying in verse 38 through 42 is, you know, it's, you know, you should, you should do things so kind of like you're turning the other cheek and only within a certain amount, right? I mean, you know, we, we all don't want to become poor. We want, we don't want people to take advantage of us. How would you, how would you uh, interpret that in light of what people are asking when they look at one passage and they look at this passage and go, well, they must be the same. And, and, and sometimes like me, I try to wiggle around the text. What would you say? Well, and that, that is one of those things, especially with the the verses being so close together and the Sermon on the Mount is, yes, if Jesus talks about your right eye causes you to sin, your right hand, you know, to tear it out or cut it off, you know, it's better to lose one of your members. And I was just preaching on that text not too long ago in the Matin service and reminding them that, you know, it's not just the hand. You know, you start just hacking away at your entire body, if you're wanting to take that literally, until you're left with nothing but your heart. Because ultimately, it's your heart that is the cause of your sin. You know, the desires that you have in your heart is what does it. Now, maybe act it out through your eyes or through your hands or by your feet or whatever. But it's that those are the extremities of it. Whereas the core of it is the desires of the heart, which we see Jesus turn completely around in these verses, is that the desire of our heart is if somebody slaps us, we slap them back. Like the guys who get heated in the wrestling ring and just start throwing punches because they forget that we're wrestling and not boxing. But, you know, we... You know, the desire of our heart is to slap the person back, you know, to fight against anything being taken away from us. Uh, I grew up in the era of the original DuckTales, where you had Scrooge McDuck, you know, and his large, large vault of gold coins that he would just go swimming in because he wanted nothing to harm them. And we, you know, fight, you know, the desire of our heart is we want to keep everything that we call ours. And Jesus takes these words very directly and reminds us without having to say it, that nothing that we have is truly ours. That's been given as a gift for us to manage. And there are times where our management is lacking. And some things happen that take things away. And what he tells us to do is to let it happen. Take ownership of that and let it go. But, you know, something happened, you know, for verse 40, you know, we got sued and they took away our tunic. Well, go ahead, take that too. Just, you know, to completely be done with that chapter. I find it interesting too. Yeah. Before our text today on Friday, um, Pastor Golden, Daniel Golden, out in West Virginia, just had a very good, I thought, thread to go through all of this when we're talking about lust and divorce and oaths. 
is that reality that when we make an oath, for example, as, as Christians, what is faithful is when we basically are saying, thy will be done. You know, a confirmand stands in front of the Lord, makes a commitment to stay in the faith, even, even to the point of persecution and dead and death. And basically they're saying, Lord, I will with the help of God. And, and we say that with our weddings, we say that with many things in our, the, 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 the Christian call is I will by, by, you know, with God's help. And for this, I see this kind of a, a thread that goes through this as well is we said, well, how is that possible? I mean, how would I turn the other cheek and then turn it back and then do this and, and to give to, to give to somebody who, who was asking, how can I, how can I ever survive? And there's that reality of. Well, God's asked us to do this, so thy will be done. Too often we are worried as if God will not provide. But like you said, none of it's ours anyways. So he's generous. We should be generous. He's called us to, to love and to serve, and he served us first, so therefore we serve them. I'm not saying these are easy. I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not excited about this, but there is that reality that we say, well, thy will be done as we look at these words as well. Any thoughts? And that's absolutely true. It is simply his will being done and us doing it with his help. Because without his help, there's no way we can do it. We're going to try to hold on to too much. But with his help, you know, he may show us that there are things that are better on down the road for us. But we can't see that now because he won't show that to us that we can have those times where we basically seem like we have to give up everything. But then to realize that, okay, we have to give this up because you know God is always going to be there for us. God is always going to be there to bless us and take care of us. We just have to trust that we will get through this and there will be something better on the other side. So... And the other, the other part, and, and this, this is my encouragement to our listeners, because as, as pastors, really, he's really challenging me right now, and I know he's challenging you, is um, he's right. They're right. The, the, Jesus um, is, is reigning, right? The kingdom, of, the kingdom of Christ has come. Christ is still reigning, and his reign is still coming. And to kind of give you a little bit of a precursor tomorrow, we have Dr. Robert Sorensen from Concordia Chicago on tomorrow, and I was reading it today um, about uh, giving to the needy is, 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 is the next one in chapter six, the Lord's Prayer. And, and the language that Jesus uses is those who, you know, um, basically hold on to this or are hypocrites, they've received their reward, but your, yours is to receive the reward in heaven. So the thy will be done kind of language that there's, there's a future that is still yet to come where you have those rewards, but are we so focused on trying to keep the rewards today that we're fearful if I turn the other cheek or if I give people, um, um, give people things when they sue me or to uh, someone begs for me, you, you, give them, you give them what they need that we assume that God's not going to provide for us. And I, don't, I guess this goes back to Adam and Eve. They didn't think God would provide for them, so they ate the fruit. And we have the same problem. What do you think? We do. And that, that does bring out a very good point is that all of this stuff is all about stuff that is here. 
when our hearts and our minds, as he is going through the Beatitudes on into all of these things with the law and then into the Lord's Prayer in the next chapter, is reminder that you know, the, the kingdom of this world is not what is promised to us. The kingdom of heaven is what is promised to us. And we have many hymns that talk about, you know, you know, you know, if everything be gone, you know, we still have the promise from God. And it's clinging to that promise as what is important in this life. And this also shows us that the kingdom of God is different than the kingdom of the world. And th this is probably the most, how do you say it? The most stark so far in the Sermon on the Mount. I might be wrong. Um, oh, I can't, I don't think I'd be wrong, but it, but it hits me the most. I'll say it that way. Where this one says, oh my goodness, you know, this kingdom is way different than the kingdom that we're used to. And that should bring us to our knees for we are, as, as we say in, in, in the Beatitudes, poor in spirit because we want to fight back to something like this. And the Lord says, no, that's not the way of this kingdom. Pastor, I'm thinking about going to the next number of verses, but I want to make sure. Is there anything else you have from verses 38 to 42? No, I think we covered them very well. And like you said, that these words, there's a, the Lord quells, you know, any extremism. And so that's why you don't want to end in verse 42 and act as if, okay, end of story, go out and do therefore, because there's more to the story that helps us keep everything in perspective. So verses 43 to 48, you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. So you may be sons of your father who is in heaven. For he makes his son, makes his son rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You, therefore, must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. So we go from, okay, turn the other cheek to love your enemies. Once again, taking words from the Bible that says, love your neighbor, Leviticus 19. And he says, but I say, and he turns, I guess you'd say, turns, turns it around a little bit. Um, how, how would you unpack these verses? Well, first I find the quotation interesting that he gives. Because he has, you shall love your neighbor, which is in Leviticus 19. But the hate your enemy was added by the rabbi later on as they were teaching the love of neighbor. And obviously, we want to... For those who hate us, we should reciprocate that eye for an eye thing again, that we should hate them back. But Jesus says, no, no, you know, love your enemy. Pray for those who persecute you. Because this is the whole source of the kingdom of God, is that God loves his enemies. God makes his enemies his children. That's exactly what he talked about here is that that love for your enemies verse 45 in the ESV has so that you may be sons 
of your father. Dr. Gibbs translate that as you may live as sons of your father, which then mm. points back up to the previous paragraph that we spent the bulk of our time this morning talking about and how and ways to do that. Because even as Jesus is being persecuted throughout his ministry, he's praying for all those who are persecuting him. As he is hanging on the cross, and we have the great words from the cross that we hear on Good Friday. Most of those are prayers for the people who are physically nailing him onto the cross. Prayers for us who by proxy are nailing him to the cross because it's our sins, our persecutions of him that put him there. Now I've got a question for you, Brady. Please. As he, as he talked about this, who does God send his son to shine on? And who does he send rain to? It says here to everybody, the just and the unjust. Mm -hmm. Not just. It doesn't just shine on the Christian field. The rain doesn't just come on the Christian farm. <laughs> he gives it to everybody. <laughs> Why? Because he loves everybody. He wants to bless everyone. Now, not everyone will receive that blessing in the same way. Some will receive it with thanksgiving that God has pitied and taken compassion on them to help their fields, help their job, help their families to get through difficult times. Others will say, well, great, it rained. You know, crops are going to be a little greener. Or, you know, the sun's shining so I can go do more things. Or I got a promotion at work because I've done such a great job that, you know, it's all about me, me, me. And that's where the questions come in in 46 and 47. If you have this idea of it's just about you and what you do and what you have done, that you get all this, how does that make you any different from everybody outside of Christ? How does, you know, how does, how does that attitude reflect anything about Christ? Because Christ was the one who emptied himself so that he might bless us. So as we look at this, I mean, it, it is it, it is, a, is a wonderful way for us to look at, hey, God, God is God is there for everybody. And are we reflecting this light of Christ in our lives? And it brings us to verse 48, which probably just leads me a little bit. What do I do with this? You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. I can see it now. I'm sitting in confirmation class after I've had my number of classes that says, I, a poor, miserable sinner. This is, this is who we are. What do we need? Forgiveness. What do we need? Christ. We need the cross. We need the resurrection. We need, the, we need, a, we need to be baptized. We need divine intervention. Now Jesus is saying, you therefore must be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. And you're like almost led to despair. How would you address a confirmand, our lovely confirmation students, who would ask such a question in verse 48? And the issue there is strictly in translation. 
the the Greek behind this is more of the idea, and Dr. Gibbs fleshes it out a little more, is that it's better to be translated, therefore you will be perfect, as your Heavenly Father is perfect. Mm. A couple other translations take it that way as well, not as a law statement, but as a gospel statement. That when you see these things in their proper light, and you understand God's working in your life, regardless of your perfection or imperfection, that he is still blessing you with the things that we need for this body and life, that, okay, you know, I can be, I, I am like him because he has claimed me as his child. Uh, one of the other translations of this that I've found, because I'm one of those who collects translations of the Bible. Nice. It's called the Passion Translation. Mm. And he translates verse 48, since you are children of a perfect father in heaven, you are to be perfect like him. And mm. I wonder if he read Dr. Gibbs' commentary. That's <laughs> sure. what he said. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Is that as, as the disciples, as I talked about from the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, is that the disciples are the ones Jesus is talking to, those who are with him, part of his family, already children of the Heavenly Father, just like each of us who have been baptized into Christ. So therefore, as he is perfect, he is the one who makes us perfect. And yes, we don't see it in this life, as we've talked about throughout this entire hour, is that we find all sorts of different ways to not live up to what Jesus wants us to do. But in the end, it's all about God calling you his son or his daughter and saying that you are a member of the family. You did all the blessing of that perfect life that Jesus gave to each of us in our baptism. And therefore you are perfect as your Heavenly Father is perfect. So, Pastor, as we hear these words, we hear in Matthew 25 that, you know, in the, in the final, final resurrection, Jesus separates the sheep from the goats. And he says something along the lines of, when I was hungry, you fed me. When I was naked, you clothed me. And when I was in jail, you visited me. And they're like, when did we do that? So there's, there's a reality that these things are happening as Christ, you know, no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. That goes into this perfection talk that you're speaking as well, is that the Lord works through his people. So how is the Lord working through his people? I, I, I hesitate to ask for examples or maybe even um, uh, ideas that you might have, because this is a high calling. Like you said, we're not alone in this. Uh, it is what, and we take it serious. But are there ways and examples or thoughts you have of how the Lord is working this in his church today, exactly what he was exhorting them on the Sermon on the Mount to do? Well, as he says in the Sermon on the Mount, or as you pointed out from Matthew 25, you know, going and giving the hungry food, the thirsty a drink of water, welcoming the stranger, clothing the naked, uh, visiting the sick, uh, and those who are imprisoned. And yes, the sheep 
ask him, well, when did we do all this? And he says, whenever you have done it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you've done it to me. So we go and in whatever way we have, whether it's the local food bank or clothing bank to be able to help the hungry and the thirsty and the naked, if we go and visit with those who are sick, you know, depending on whether we can get in or not, or those who are in prison, not necessarily the, the you know, easiest thing to do either, but especially if you're talking about that person who is appealing his sentence for having killed 10 people or what, or whatever, but you know, to yeah. be there to share the love of Christ, remembering that even though I might not be as publicly as bad as this person, I still confess I a poor, miserable sinner. It's only by the grace of God that I have the forgiveness of sin. And that grace is what prompts us to want to share that message, to be able to share for others to have those blessings. And some of those blessings seem to be just uh, kind of ordinary, you know, dropping off a bag of canned goods or boxed food into the box for the food pantry at church on Sunday morning. That's simple and does the same thing as does going out and visiting those who need it and bringing them into your own house and doing these things. Because again, that's also the extreme side that people will try to get to. And Jesus reminds you don't have to do the extreme. Do what's in the middle. Do the ordinary thing. Because as we'll see through his calling of all the disciples, the disciples were just ordinary people. Hmm. They were just ordinary men, which is what confounded everybody, all the ruling elders in the book of Acts, is that these guys were ordinary, nothing special, no advanced degrees for these guys. But they were simply doing what they could for the moments that presented themselves. And that goes for those who were their friends, their neighbors, but also for those who didn't like them and would uh, persecute them for their beliefs because the beliefs are so radically different from what comes naturally to us. Pastor, we have about a minute left in our time, and then and and to look at these words serious, um, drenched in God's grace, of course, um, in Christ, looking to Christ. What would be your encouragement with 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 Jesus's strong words for our listeners, for our churches, pastors, whoever it might be, and saying this is what the Lord has called us to do? What would be your encouragement as you would encourage as you would uh, as we hear these words? As we hear these words, we're reminded that it's not just our calling to live like Christ, but it's a reminder of what Christ has done for us. That he is the one 
who has turned the other cheek and offered us forgiveness every time we have sinned against him. He is the one who gives more than we can possibly even imagine asking from him. He is the one who is with us even when we think he's deserted us. And again, as I've said multiple times, Christmas is the epitome of Jesus loving his enemies, loving those who want nothing to do with him, but bringing them into his fold so that they might see his love and experience it firsthand in their lives. This is all about what Christ has done for us. And Lord, help us to do this. Pastor Doug Minton of Our Savior Lutheran Church in Milford, Illinois, giving us God's strong word from Matthew chapter 5. Pastor Minton, thank you for his gifts. Thank you. I'm your host, Brady Finneran, pastor of Messiah Lutheran Church in Sartell, Minnesota. Thank you for joining us, and the Lord keep you safe in the palm of his hand. Thank you.